do you struggle with a disability? Now, all disabilities are the result of the fall. That is not God's original creation. God's original creation had nothing to do with weaknesses and nothing to do with disabilities. Struggles, trials, hurts, frustrations. They had everything to do with God being so pleased. Just like when you create something, you want it to be just right. And that's how God created the world. That's how God created everything in the world. But because of the fall, because of sin, this world is cursed. And the human race became broken. We became broken. Our bodies and our spirits, reflecting the image of God, they were broken. Some disabilities are the result of our own poor choices, and some are not our fault whatsoever. For myself, I just kind of reflected, and, and over the years, I'm now 62, I have realized that there are minimally four disabilities that I have. They were more pronounced when I was younger, especially something like attention deficit order. And did you hear about the Eagles that are playing, by the way? I just wanted to, anyway, just wanted to let you know. Um, but, but attention deficit order, when I would be sitting in class, all the way through grade school, and I'd be sitting in class, I would be daydreaming. Now, my wife, she got in trouble, she said anyway, because she was constantly talking. That wasn't me. I didn't talk in class. Good for me. I daydreamed. And when the teacher called on me, man, forget it. I had no idea what she was talking about. Somehow I managed to get, it through, get through grade school. But I was constantly distracted. Even to this day, I am so easily distracted. If I'm talking with you and something's going on in the background, I can barely hear you. Sometimes it's because of music, just be, but because there's, there's things moving, I get distracted. But that's me. And, I, and I've had to learn how to deal with that over the years. I'm also compulsive. When I was in junior high, I had to walk a mile to school in deep snow. No, I'm just kidding. I had to walk a mile to school and back and get a load of this. My compulsiveness turned into superstition. I never stepped on the crack of a sidewalk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. And, and my compulsivity, there were just certain things that I would, that I would do that I, I had, had to be just right. Okay, I'm going to have a test superstitions, had to wear the right socks, had to do things just, the, had to walk to school the same exact way. And it was like, it was bondage. And, and I find when things are crooked, and if you could just straighten the clock out in the back there, it'd be great. But if I, when things are crooked, oh my goodness, our clock that is right above in, in our family room, for some reason, I think it's because when the AC turns on, the wall vibrates a little and the clock shifts. And it's like, no, like every other day I've got to get up because I can't, I can't watch TV. I have to go up there and I have to straighten the clock out, right? And I'm, so there's just this, comp is there anybody else in the house that tends to be compulsive? Yes, my daughter, I am so sorry. Yes, we, we tended to Julianne, excuse me, Katie Beth. When she was three years old, we asked her to straighten up her, her closet. And she had like 12 different pairs of shoes. Most of them didn't fit her. They were either too big or too small. And she straightened her. You know what she did? She took her shoes, all 12 pairs, and she categorized them from smallest to biggest. I was horrified. I had to apologize to her. You got that from me, sweetie. Sorry. But compulsivity. I'm not a monk, by the way. It's not that bad. Um, I have reading comprehension problems, even to this day. I will read the same paragraph sometimes, half a dozen times, and still not know what it's saying. That was especially pronounced when I was a kid. 
And I, I, I read very slowly as a result. Part of it was simply because of my attention deficit disorder. My mind would just be distracted. It was so hard for me to focus. I've learned how to focus better, and so I can, I can do a lot better job comprehending. But I hated reading. I didn't enjoy reading until I got to college. But it was, it was a disability. And my wife, when I met her, she read like four to five times faster. And my oldest daughter reads even faster than her. It's like, this is crazy. This is insane. There's got to be a problem with them, right? But I just, I read slowly. I comp- I'm a little better with comprehension. But it was a, it was a major hang-up. And it, it hindered me in school. And I just thought... My family is so much about education, and I hate reading. My dad, church, my dad was a 12th grade English teacher. How do you get around to that one, right? So, Michael, did you read your book for the month? I lied all the time. I didn't read the book. I read the back cover, looked up the cliff notes, and I wrote something. I hated reading. I also had an issue with anemia. My mom said it had to do with iron deficiency when I would, I would do well in sports, but when I hit high school, something happened in my body. I don't know what it was, but when I would do cross country, I would do really well in the practices, but when it came time for the meets, I tanked. Two-thirds of the way through the, the, the race, I would be absolutely exhausted, and so no one ever figured out what, the was, what it was. My mom thought it was anemia, but I'm just going to let you know all of us have disabilities. If we want to call them weaknesses or disabilities, it doesn't matter. When we look at our life, there are certain things we say, I'm just not good. As a matter of fact, I stink at that. I can't do that. Sometimes they're physical. Sometimes they're mental. Sometimes they're emotional. But they're a part of us, and we don't want them to be. We ask almost every day, God, heal me of this. I regularly have to pray, by the way, that God helps me with my with being so easily distracted. I fa- even found oh, as I get older, it's gotten a bit worse. But I, I, I have to be focused and intentional about that. But I pray, God, please help me with this. The first thing we need to realize, as I said, is that these weaknesses, most of these disabilities, they're a result of the fall, and they're not a part of God's original plan for man. But in redemption, I want you to know God has a different plan. He has a new plan, and it's either to heal them. Listen to me now, church. It's either to heal them, and he can do this, or it is to work through them. We're going to see an example of the first, but I want you to know, as we read this story in John 9, so turn in your Bibles to John 9, God wants to speak to your hearts concerning your disabilities. Now, you received a sheet, right? Everybody have a sheet? It says, comparing, contrasting the cripple with the blind man. We're going to act, I don't want you to read that right now. We're going to get, to get to that at the end. I want you to look at the very bottom. List some of the weaknesses or disabilities that you have. And then we're going to later, you're going to answer this question, how's God using them? How's God working through them? Sometimes we just, let me just tell you this, your weaknesses force you to rely upon God. As a pastor, there are certain, I, I am so aware of my inabilities and my weaknesses. To this day, 62, I still pray heavily before I come up here and before I speak. Because when I was a kid, I could not tell a story to save my soul. I was so distracted by all the details of the story. My dad would sit there, Mike, Michael, he called me Michael, just get to the point, son. 
just get to the point. My dad was a teacher, and I had a chance in high school to sit in some of his classes because the teachers went on strike and he crossed the picket line. And so the students, there was just limited classes, and so I sat in on his. My dad was an amazing teacher, amazing teacher. And, but this poor guy could not tell a story well to save his soul. And, and I just said, God, and if you're calling me to be a pastor and I can't tell a story, how do you do that? So God had to do something. God had to help me, however. But all of us have our inabilities. All of us have our, our weaknesses, not just our strengths. And I want you to, on this piece of paper, I want you to list some of them. No one, the person next to you, you don't, have to look, you don't have to see them. If you need to borrow a pen, borrow one from someone. But hey, write down some of these disabilities. And as you're thinking about this, I want the story to minister to you. If you want to take notes, you can do it on the reverse side of that sheet. But John 9, one to the end of the cha- verse 1 to the end of the chapter, as he went along, that's Jesus now, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Hmm. Teaching opportunity here. Sorry, I, I said that, not Scripture. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God, better read, works in the plural, of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work, better read, works, it's in the plural in the Greek, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. We've heard that somewhere, haven't we? Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and freaked the blind guy out. I'm sorry, I read that wrong. And put it on the man's eyes. If I were the blind man, he's not seeing... You probably got that already, though. If I were one of the disciples, I would have freaked out. Okay. Now, he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Now, I don't know, maybe that's when Jesus saw him while he was begging. It doesn't say, but he used to be, he was blind from birth and he used to beg. So, like, everybody, especially his neighbors, knew him, saw him. Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. This is his neighbor's church. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. We're going to find out in just a few verses why they're demanding this. This is his neighbor speaking. He replied to them, the man they call Jesus made some mud. Doesn't tell them that he spit on the ground. Good thing. And put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought him, excuse me, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes, do you see that church, was what? A Sabbath. 
Can you say, "Uh uh-oh? Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others, now others of the Pharisees, but others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? They, so they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe, listen to this, the Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one that you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, but we know, and we know he was born blind But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already, the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God. In other words, come on, guy, tell the truth, they said. (coughs) We know this man is a sinner. He's saying amen, by the way. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. He's being pretty firm here, church. You did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. Almost right, by the way. We are the disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Amen. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin going back to the original question in the beginning of the chapter. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. That is, physically blind. But now that you claim you can see, at least spiritually, 
your guilt remains. Father, I just ask, take these words, seal them in our heart, give us an understanding of your word, of your truth. And I just ask you, Lord, that that truth today would set us free. In so many ways, God, speak to our hearts by your spirit. Give us ears to hear and hearts to obey in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look, we realize this is a continuation from chapter 8, which is a continuation from chapter 7, where in the very beginning we realize Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles. Again, six months prior to his death. Jesus is walking along. We don't know if it's actually during this Feast of Tabernacles or like just after it, but about then, he's, <laughs> he's walking along and he sees the blind man. Now, I need you to realize how John wears this. Jesus is the one walking along. Jesus is the one who spies the man blind. Maybe he's a beggar. He doesn't have to leave. He's cheering me on. Amen. 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 And so he is, he, Jesus is the one who apparently pauses and sees the blind man. This sets up for the question. Apparently, Jesus says nothing. He just stops and looks at him. You know, he probably knows. The Father's already revealed to him what's going to happen. He's probably just wondering, come on, disciples, ask the question. Come on. Waiting for you. There we go. And they ask, so Jesus, tell us, is this man blind because, or born blind because he sinned or because his parents sinned? Do you listen to the heart of that theology that is so misunderstood, so wrong? All problems, all disabilities is because it's your fault or your parents' fault. Not because Adam sinned and this world is broken, but apparently you have this issue in your life and it's bad. Wow, what did you do? Does that ring a bell, ring a bell about any book in the Old Testament? Maybe like Job, or as I've heard it pronounced, Job? And so, Jesus, he doesn't get frustrated with them. Because even the Pharisees tell the blind man, you were steeped in sin. After all, why was he born blind? You see this mindset. The disciples probably got it from these Pharisees. But that was, this, that was the average stinking thinking in that day. That if you had a disability, blindness from birth, that's because you probably did something wrong or your parents. I mean, what, did he sin in the womb? I mean, and then so God judged him, really? Or maybe it was, what did his parents do? So Jesus says this. Jesus corrects their theology. Neither he nor his parents sinned. That is, of course they did sin, but that's not why this man was born blind. Why was he born blind? Here it is so that the works of God might be displayed in his life. That the works, plural, works, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later, why it's plural, but works of God. See, God healed, God, he had this weakness, this disability. Jesus heals him. That was a display of God's glory, and any display of God's glory should cause us to glorify him, okay? When God displays his glory, it 
prompts us to glorify him. When God does something in your life, like this a healing and displays his glory, it prompts us and anyone you tell to bring glory to God. Unfortunately, in this passage, that did not happen. It didn't happen from the neighbors, didn't happen from the Pharisees, didn't even happen from his parents. It happened with the man himself. So much to unravel here. It's, this is an exciting passage. I've been anxiously praying through it um, and just wanting to share this with you because I believe it's so relevant for us today. So while Jesus is in the world, verse 5 says, he is the light of the world. Church, you need to know what's going to happen when Jesus is gone. Who is the light of the world? Tell me. That's right. You are the light of the world, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. A city that is as a city that has light cannot be hidden. It's on a hill. It can't be hidden. And he says, he says this, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We need to know how to get there. How do we let our works shine? We will though. In just a moment. What was the work that God did here? Well, he healed the blind man. How did he do it? He spit on the ground, which as I said, that's the part that he left out when he shared with his neighbors. He made some mud. And with that mud, he just spread it on the man's eyes. And then he said, now go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, to do that, the man would have to act on faith. That's significant, church. That's important. Whenever Jesus wants to do something in your life, and it has to do with your disabilities, he's going to want to call forth faith in your life. He's going to give you something hard to do. I don't know where they were. I seriously doubt that they were close to the pool of Siloam. Jesus had just been teaching in the temple that's a little bit more north. If you were looking at the city of Jerusalem, it's kind of shaped like this. And the temple's in the north. Jesus was walking, saw the blind man. The pool of Siloam is in the way south. Is that a proper way to... It's in the way south. And he told him to go to that pool and wash in the pool. And when he did... He was healed. See, this is just like Naaman. Do you remember that story in which Naaman, who was the army commander of Syria, he had leprosy. And he had been told that there was a prophet of Yahweh in Israel. His name was Elisha. And he, had, he could heal him. And so he came, Naaman came with all of this, these goods and money and clothes and you name it. Elisha could have become wealthy with all of this. And so with all of this, Naaman comes to Elisha. He basically says, hey, dude, I heard that you are the man. I heard that God's power, Yahweh's power is upon you and that you can heal leprosy. And so Elisha just simply says, yeah, go wash in the Jordan River seven times. And he's thinking, I could have easily done that in the rivers up where I'm from. They're nice and clear. The Jordan River, the Jordan River, by the way, floods regularly and it stirs up mud. It's a dirty river. Yet that was, by the way, where Jesus got baptized and where John the Baptist regularly baptized in the muddy water. But here's Naaman. He's thinking, 
I, I can go to any of these rivers. Why, why this? Because of this disability, inability, this weakness, God, through the prophet, calls forth obedience as a demonstration of faith. Do you really believe? And at the moment, he didn't, and so his servant challenged him. What's the big deal? He simply asked you to do it. Now, when Naaman went to the river, he didn't dip himself one time and say, done with that. Apparently, it doesn't work. He did it seven times. Seven times he washed. Now, this blind man only had to do it once, but Naaman acted on his faith. When he heard the servant, he said, why not? Yes. And he obeyed. The blind man probably, he's blind. How's he going to get to the pool of Siloam? He's obviously, I can just, in my mind, and this is the way I think, I can just see him walking along and then tripping. So someone had to lead him, but it was hard, church. And he still did it because he was desperate to be healed. And he knew Jesus' name. He probably had heard about the miracles. And finally, he's like, it's my turn? And he, he does it. He obeys, and he goes to the pool, he washes, and now he can see. Now, I want you to look at that portion, especially verse 7. And this is John. This is what John does. He takes something that at first glance, at first read, it just seems incidental, and you kind of move right past it without even thinking about it. And I can't tell you how many times I've done that. What is the name of the pool that he goes to? Siloam. What does the word Siloam mean sent. Why does John include that? I mean, how many of you were just so blessed in your soul to find out that the name, that the word Siloam means sent? Wow, John, that's like eye-opening. Thank you. It finally makes sense. No, it doesn't. What's the big deal? See, for John, it's a big deal. As a matter of fact, I named the sermon this, sent with an exclamation mark. Now, here's why. There are two things in which this man is commissioned in being sent. Number one, he was sent to the pool. He had to demonstrate this sense of faith by his obedience. But number two, what happens once he's healed? I'm going to tell you this. This is what God's going to do whenever he does something with regard to your weaknesses and your disabilities. And it's not always in healing them, by the way. He is going to display his glory, and he's going to send you. Why? Church, what does the word display mean? I mean, that's the word that Jesus used here, to display God's glory. Was God's glory displayed when Jesus put mud on his eyes? Well, he wasn't healed. If anything, some of the people might have thought it was a joke. Mud on the man's eyes? Mm, some real powerful Remedy there, Jesus. Yeah, I'm sure his disciples took it a little bit more seriously. No, he wasn't glorified necessarily. So he goes to the pool and now his eyes, he's open and he can see. Now maybe the person who led him to the pool, oh my goodness, dude, you can see me? Really? 
And maybe that man was blessed, and in that way, God's glory was displayed. But when he went to his neighbors, when he went to his family, was God's glory displayed? I'm going to tell you it was, but they didn't receive it well. So what happens next? Those neighbors that doubt, and why they doubt is because Jesus did it on the Sabbath, and they knew it. Wait, 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 wait. It's the Sabbath, and he healed you. You know what? Um, We need to take you to the Pharisees and let them figure this out. They didn't jump up and down and say, wow, praise to God. Look what he did. Nope. We need to dig into this a little bit further. Not sure about this one. Mm. They brought him to the Pharisees. The man didn't say, hey, no way. You're not doing this. I'm going to guess the man goes willingly because he's sent, church. He's sent. And while he is there in front of the the Pharisees, they're the ones who dig into it deeper and deeper, asking questions. And guess what happens? There's no other answer but that this man healed him, and therefore he must be sent by God. But the Pharisees could not handle that. The word display means to make something become visible And become the focus. God's glory. God's work. This healing was on display. The man doesn't go to the Pharisees. He was brought to the Pharisees. And I'm just going to tell you. There are times, church, in which... For you to bring glory to God in what he does in your life. Maybe he does heal you. Cole, maybe God is going to heal this cancer. I'm praying that he will. Cat, I'm believing God is going to heal your cancer. Gone completely. And bring glory to him and allow you a platform to display that glory of God. The works of God displayed in your life as a testimony. But it didn't go over too well here. But others of you, you may be praying, I've been praying all my life for these four circumstances, these situations in my life. I've gotten a little better, but God has chosen not to heal me of them. I have to deal with them every day. God so delights in working through your weaknesses. Look, look on that page. You wrote some of those weaknesses down. I want, I want you to hear the Spirit of God speak to your heart right now. God wants to use those weaknesses for his glory, to display his glory. And you're probably thinking there is no way that God can use this issue here in my life. There's just no way. But here's what it, if it, he, might be, he might be able to use it or he might use that to cause you to completely rely upon him. So that that weakness no longer shines in your life, but the Spirit of God does. I can't tell you how many... Did you realize that Bill Bright... How many of you know who Bill Bright was before he passed away? He was the... He, was the, uh, he started up the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. All right? He was an introvert. Did you know that? Self-proclaimed introvert. Shy. And yet God called him, not to be a pastor, but to be an evangelist of all things. And he led many people to Christ. He was an introvert. And God, he has such a beautiful testimony about how he had to deal with that and just say, okay, God, 
this is a hindrance, but I'm going to yield it to you. And for you to overcome this in my life, that is going to be your grace and only your grace. I want you to just take that inability, that disability, that weakness, and just in your mind, offer it to the Lord. We're going to do that at the end of the message, by the way. But I want you to just right now start thinking, this is God's, this is God's problem. God loves to take weaknesses and show off his grace. He loves doing that. But when he starts doing that, he is going to send you, okay? He's going to send you. Now, this first sent was not of this man's choosing. The neighbors took him to the Pharisees. I want you, I want you to see something here. I want to make sure I haven't lost my place. As you look over how this discussion with the Pharisees went, it's going to be very easy to step back and say, man, did that go terribly. I have a different take on that. I'm not going to point to scriptures necessarily. I'll point to a few, but it's not to prove it. But I have this hunch that something happened there that so impacted these Pharisees. These were the main Pharisees in Jerusalem. Many of them were priests, by the way. They were the overseers of the teaching of the law. Now, they initially believed maybe he was previously just not blind. Then later they couldn't get around that, and so they thought maybe Jesus used a trick. So tell us again, how did he do this? He put mud on my eyes and I went and washed and now I see. So simple. Mm. I'm sure they were thinking about it. There's got to be a way around it. They had to avoid the inevitable conclusion that Jesus was truly from God. And the prophets, the prophet believed, excuse me, the, the, the blind, the man who was once blind believed that God had done it and that Jesus was a prophet. The parents feared, and so they tried to stay out of it. The Pharisees still didn't believe that he was healed, according to verse 26. And so the blind man, the healed blind man, concludes in verse 33, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. I'm sure the air was silent, at least for a moment. There was no amen. There was no hand clap. Yes! Yes! None of that. Just a scathing rebuke. How did this in any way display God's glory? All of these Pharisees, six months later, heard about Jesus' resurrection. Every single one of them, I guarantee you. The, this, this incident's happening in Jerusalem. That's where Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead. And that rumor of so what they thought was a rumor of Jesus' resurrection was everywhere. They all heard it. How many of them came to Christ? In Acts 6-7, it says this. So the word of God spread... The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Now listen, and a large 
number of priests, many of whom were Pharisees, by the way, became obedient to the faith. Why? Because in Jerusalem, Jesus had done so many miracles. Not just the resurrection, his resurrection from the dead, but so many miracles in Jerusalem. And John, of all the, the Gospels, highlights this. He also raised Lazarus from the dead. That's another sermon a little bit later on. And between that resurrection and this one six months prior, and now they see how Jesus, the teaching of Jesus has transformed this Christian community. Thousands are believing in them and the apostles are doing the very same miracles that Jesus did. Wow. Many of them. I just have this hunch, church. Many of these Pharisees became obedient to the faith. They were impacted. They realized maybe at that moment, I couldn't get around it. I didn't understand it. But the guy could see. He was obviously blind. His parents as much as admitted it. And they didn't say, of course, he was, he's never been blind. No, um, you know what? You just ask him. They wanted to stay out of it. They didn't want to say, yes, he was blind, because the next question is, so then how do you think he was healed? They didn't want to answer that one. How was this blind man healed? By the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, his eyes were opened and God's glory displayed. Church, I'm going to tell you, every time God works in your life and you share a testimony, you, you share even the gospel in the midst of your weakness, in the midst of your inabilities and disabilities, God uses you and puts your weaknesses, his grace really, on display. Working through or in spite of your weaknesses, your inabilities. <coughs> Paul in 2 Corinthians 12.10 says it this way that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses he doesn't say for that reason I, kind of, I put up with them yeah I, I, I have my cross to bear yeah I try to deal with them every day see that, that's me unfortunately for Paul, I delight in them. He prayed three times that they would be, he would be relieved of these, and God every time said no. How many times have you prayed that God would remove your weakness, that God would somehow overcome it? Well, God, maybe we'd heal you. Maybe that's what you needed to be healed. But God, at least to this date, has said no. Maybe tomorrow he'll say yes. Maybe he will. I'm not saying he won't. Maybe he will. But if he doesn't, can you delight in that weakness? Can you delight in your personal inabilities? I'm not talking about sins. I'm talking about your limitations, hindrances, deep issues, health issues, all kinds of issues. For Paul, God did not remove his weakness, but Paul managed to delight in them. I want you to see something here. <clears throat> what was the end result of this 
I guess you could call it a dialogue, between the Pharisees and the man who had been healed. They kicked him out of the synagogue. And it says here in verse, what is it, 30, 35, Jesus heard about it, and then he went looking for the man. He went looking for him. There was compassion. Jesus had something to say. I'm not done with you yet. And here's what happened. Jesus finally finds him, and he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He doesn't say the Messiah, and I've mentioned this, there's reasons why, Son of Man, because people had too much misunderstanding about the Messiah. Son of Man, there's only one picture in the Old Testament of the Son of Man, and that is standing before the Ancient of Days, and the Ancient of Days is giving him a kingdom and authority and power, and all nations would worship and serve him. Well, who is this man? He is standing before you. He says it this way. You have, verse 37, you have now seen him. Do, do I need to say that again? He says to the formerly blind man, you have now seen him. And this blind man now sees through his eyes that have been physically restored, and now he receives spiritual sight. Do you see? And so God not only physically heals him now, God spiritually heals him. And he says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. You know what? Here's, here's my fear. My fear is that we don't do too well when we face our weaknesses. We get frustrated, maybe even angry. Maybe this blind man was, had, had gotten frustrated and angry so many times in his life. I'm sure he, God had to deal with that in his heart because now his response is one of worship. I want you to take this sheet right now. I'm going to quickly walk through only about 10 of them. I'm not going to walk through all of them. And I, and I want you to just look over this during the week and kind of meditate on this chapter. Are you ready? Number one, the crippled man, he was crippled for 38 years that's from John 5. Do you remember when he, he went to the pool of, he was, he was laying down outside the, or just away from the pool of Bethesda, and he wanted to crawl into the pool when it would be stirred and be healed for whatever reason. I'm sure there was a legend with regard to this, and he thought maybe it could be my turn, but that time never was. And Jesus walked up to him, and he healed him. You remember him. It too was on the Sabbath, by the way. And so that man was crippled for 38 years. This man was blind since birth. Number three, both of them were healed on the Sabbath. Number six, the cripple was healed in front of Jesus. The blind man was healed away from Jesus, requiring more faith. Number eight, the crippled, when asked, did not know Jesus' name. The blind man, when asked, see, he knew Jesus' name. Right there, we know there's a major difference between these two people. Number 11, the, the cripple does not end up believing in Jesus because he's not hungry. He's not thirsty, to use the metaphors John does. The blind man, however, does end up believing in Jesus because he is hungry. Apparently, something worse happened to the crippled man for his disobedience, because that's what Jesus said. He said, stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. What happened to him was that he apparently died in his sins. He, he, he was healed 
And his response to that healing was a selfish, hardened heart. Number 13, the result of the crippled man being healed was that the Jews persecuted Jesus. That's exactly what John 5 says. And the Jews persecuted Jesus. What's the result with the blind man? The Jews persecuted the blind man. They actually kicked him out of the synagogue. But we're going to see in the next chapter, verse 28, how that fits in. Number 14, the word John associates with the place of healing for the crippled is sheep. The the word gate is not in the Greek, but since you probably would not wash sheep in that pool because it was a two-level pool, and they could have washed sheep in the upper pool, but the lower pool below it was about 30 feet deep. You definitely would not wash sheep in there. But what would that be used for? I tell you what, you don't want the stink and filth of sheep being washed to drain into the lower pool. He uses the word sheep because it probably refers to the sheep gate that it was near. Now listen, sheep are stupid animals. Remember, John does not share what appears to be incidental incidental things for no reason. There is always a purpose. Sheep are stupid animals that easily go astray. Unfortunately, this characterized the crippled man who was healed. The word John associates with the place of healing for the blind man is Siloam, which means sent. And fortunately, this seems to have characterized that man. The crippled man remained spiritually crippled. The blind man spiritually could now see. I want you to look over this during the week And why was one sent, but not the other? Just a few quick conclusions from that page. Number one, both were physically challenged for a long time. Both were healed on the Sabbath, and it ended up stirring up trouble, dissent, anger, and opposition. But their hearts, their attitudes were vastly different. Both were healed, but only one was truly changed. One was more concerned about himself than Jesus. The other was more concerned about Jesus than himself. The blind man was sent to be a display of God's glory. Now we see that the blind man, when he's healed and he's invited to respond to Believing in the Son of Man, he does, and then he worships him. I imagine that was a changed heart. I imagine he would be just like any of us, and that when he had to face all of his life being blind and just wondering, he was no different than the disciples. I'm sure he probably asked the same question, God, did I sin or my parents? What a horrible question as a child to have to answer, as a teenager, as a young adult to answer, who sinned? Did my parents do something wrong and now I'm blind for the rest of my life? Did I do something wrong? How does the blind man answer that? Either way, he's condemned. It's like, he probably was angry for much of his life. 
Can you imagine just having to deal with that messed up, mixed up theology that we read about in Job, but the people still didn't get it? But here he is now, worshiping Jesus. And his heart changes. There's this sense of gratitude. And if Jesus doesn't heal you, my friend, still worship him. There is something about worshiping God in the midst of tragedy. I remember when Sarah Jeffords was a part of our church some years ago, and she lost a baby, a miscarriage. We were heartbroken. We were on vacation some years ago, and we got a call about this, and we just rallied everybody, and we prayed. And then she, we immediately got a phone call. After we prayed, everything was okay. And it was like, God healed her. Wow. And then a month later, she lost the baby. And we were just heartbroken. Wow. They named him Josiah, by the way. And Mike and Sarah were just devastated. They know that they were going to see Josiah one day when they get to heaven. They had no opportunity to see what he really would look like. I'm sure in heaven they'll somehow recognize each other. I don't know. But I remember seeing Sarah that following Sunday morning on her face worshiping God. That in the midst of that tragedy, she and Mike just laid it before the Lord. And they had come to terms with it. They weren't happy by it. They weren't jumping up and down, woohoo. They were sad. They were heartbroken. But they knew that they knew that they knew that God was going to take this tragedy and somehow turn it around for good. And they rejoiced in that in that truth, in who God really truly was. He wasn't the God that abandoned them. He wasn't the God that said, oh, you see that sin in your life? Take that. That's not the heart of God. Sometimes he has to bring us through discipline. This wasn't that, but he brings us through discipline to bring us to this place of repentance. That's why he brings discipline. He's trying to lead us to repentance because apparently we're, we're not getting it. So we have a choice. We can complain about our conflict, which undermines our faith, or we can rejoice in God's ability to redeem our weaknesses. By redeem, I mean take that which is broken, own it, and use it. That's what it means to redeem. God wants to redeem all of your weaknesses. God wants to redeem all of our struggles. Church, you need to know you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which, get a load of this, pre-prepared in advance for you to do. You're his workmanship. He's crafting you, even in the midst of your weaknesses. He's crafting you for a purpose because he wants to send you as his workmanship, craftsmanship, as he's been molding you on his potter's wheel just right to reflect his glory. That's why he's allowed this. That's why we need to allow him to work through us. You're on his potter's wheel right now.
He's working in you. He may display his glory by healing you, and I pray that he does, but if he doesn't, can you allow him to work through you so that you, listen, so that you delight in your weaknesses? Allow God to lead, to lead you, and to open the doors. That's how he's going to send you. This man may have gone willingly to the Pharisees, but that was not his idea. It may not be your idea how God exactly is going to use you and display his glory through a testimony, through your weakness, but how God's grace shines through you, he's going to display your glory. But it may not be of your own doing. Allow him to lead you, and not only that, but allow him to speak through you. This man was not a trained orator, but I find myself every time I read this chapter, yes! Amen. I would have stood up and clapped here after verse 33. You got it right. Yes. Instead, he was told, you're steeped in sin. And some of those Pharisees who said that, I just I had this gut feeling, church. In Acts chapter 6, they were one of those priests who finally surrendered to Jesus. They saw the blind man healed. They saw and heard, or at least heard about the resurrection of Lazarus and could not wrap their minds around it. And they saw Jesus crucified and they were one of the ones that said, crucify him. And now Jesus was raised from the dead and people's lives were radically changed. God can use us in these ways. He can use us. I want to just share something I found online well, where is it? I've got it here. It got lost. Here we go. Kind of got lost in my notes. It's from Crossway. They, they were the ones that published the ESV. This article is entitled, 10 Things You Should Know About People with Disabilities. Don't worry, I'm not reading all 10. But number three, I'm going to remind you, it says, all people are disabled by the fall. Some more visibly than others. But here, number eight. This is the only one I'm going to read. God's desire is that his banquet table, according to Luke 14.21, write that down, Luke 14.21, I invite you to look it up, that his banquet table be filled with the poor and the crippled and blind and lame. Those are the, the banquet is the picture of the kingdom of God. If you have a disability today, you are a prime candidate for the kingdom of God if you're not in it already. God wants to reach down into your life and pull you in to display his glory through you. He may heal you, but he may not. Just because he wants to show off his grace in your life. It says this, our culture magnifies the beautiful and the powerful. God shows affection for the lost, the lame, the widow, and the orphan. He chose those who will help our mission, excuse me, we choose those who will help our mission move forward. People bring, who bring gifts, capabilities, connections, and influence, but God uses illiterate fishermen, 
cultural rejects like tax collectors and marginalized people like lepers and blind people as his messengers and ambassadors. God surprises us with his mission. Why? Because we are sent. You are sent. Allow him to use you. I want you to look over that sheet. Look over some of those disabilities, those weaknesses that you struggle with. And we're going to do this right now, but I want you to do this throughout the work, throughout the week. But just lay them at his feet. It's okay to wonder, God, why, why, why do I have to deal with this? I'm not suggesting God's going to answer that, at least not this week. He will by the time you stand before him and you get to see all of the amazing stuff that he did in spite of your disabilities. But right now, can we just stand? Let's just pray. If you want to kneel, you can do that. But let's ask God to work in our hearts. Maybe he wants to heal us. I'm going to pray for cancer, for, for coal, for a cat. I'm going to pray that God would heal you guys and in that way display his glory. But let's just, every single one of us, this is a time in which we are pressing into him and laying these before him, okay?